Right, episode seven, here we are. And today I'm joined by Mary, Dolores, <laughs> Geraldine, many more names. Tess. Tess, Forbes, Nolan. Um, for those of you who don't know, yes, well, most of you will know it as Ger- or Gerald or Geraldine Nolan or Geraldine Forbes, but today I'm joined by my ma. And the reason why I have my ma on today is well, one, because I had my dad on, and it'd be rude not to get you on as well, wouldn't I? You wouldn't hear the end of that, would No, you wouldn't, yeah. So, <laughs> now, truth be told, my ma is a very um, strong, inspiring woman. She has a great story to tell, and there's a lot of people out there who I think can learn from your story and maybe find courage and inspiration in your story and what you've been through. And, and it's something that, to be honest, I fucking was nervous about doing for so long and, and, and this is why I haven't had you on earlier is because I was thinking about if I'd be ready for it to be honest and look before we get going into it anywhere to the deep end of the stuff but we'll start off with the lighter stuff of where you're from and where you grew up and when you were born or if you don't want to give away our age <laughs> <laughs> no problem about that um, my mum and dad were married in 1953 where, where? in Dublin where City Key. City Key, City Centre, right. Mum was from City Key, Dad was from Creighton Street. And in 1957, four years later, I was born. I believe my dad had the hospital tormented. He was sitting on the steps of Hollis Street because my mum was in labour for so long and he was tormenting them. Let me in, let me in. Back then, the men weren't allowed in the hospitals. So eventually, I arrived and they were all calling him the famous Mr Forbes. He was thrilled to have his firstborn, which was me. And then we lived in 27 Townsend Street in a tenement house. My mum, my dad, obviously, and myself and my sister, Anne. And it was um, a big house. There was a lot of families living in it, but we were all like one big family living in the house. Great neighbours, the best of neighbours anyone could ever have. And there was one particular family that lived in it, and it was uh, Mrs Young. And she had her own family there. She had Paddy, Tommy, Breda, May and Josephine. And myself and Josephine, well, we're not just friends, we're sisters. Because I was classed as a member of the family. But she brought me everywhere, Mrs Young. We used to go up to a cinema up in Grafton Street. She was mad into cartoons. And there used to be a lot of animated things on then, like Bugs Bunny, whatever it was. But she loved them. So we used to go up to the cinema up in Grafton Street. But Anne was a lot young. well, she was only 15 months younger than me. But when we'd be going down the stairs, she used to say to me, sneak, don't let her hear us. So we used to have to sneak by my mum's door to go down, to go up to Grafton Street. And uh, Josephine used to say, you bring her everywhere, you leave me behind. But she didn't, don't mind her. She was, she was always moaning. She was jealous of me. <laughs> she killed me <laughs> for saying that. Right, but um, then the house was crawling with rats. Where, in Townsend Street? In Street, yeah. My ma had a beautiful room. Mrs. Young had a beautiful... Everyone don't had worry a- about the camera, you're talking to me. All right. I don't know where I should Fucking nervous. <laughs> uh, everyone had lovely rooms in the house and you had to distract me now. What I was know, you asked for a vodka tomorrow before this. Yeah, now you're saying there's rats in the, in the oh, house. Oh, yeah, it was, it was crawling with rats. So my ma got two cats. Right. Is One, this where the fear from rats comes from then? Yeah. I didn't even know that. Yeah, right, go on. It was crawling in rats. 
And we had two cats and one was called Christmas and the other had no name. Oui. So we were sitting at the table one day having a dinner and she, the cat used to bring... Uh, if she caught a rat, oui. she'd bring her up. It took a reward. Yeah. yeah, so she was scratching on the door. My ma let her in. When she came in, the thing was still alive. So my ma... Jesus. Tossed the table over. And it was a heavy table and we were all standing on the chairs screaming mm. over the rat. But... Uh, the place she was always up in Dublin City Council complaining over the rats. Yeah. So further down the line then we were offered a house out in Kimmich. What age were you? We were about eight years I was about eight when we left the oh, tenement house. Seven. Anne would have been seven. So he's yeah. went, he's went up to Kimmich then during was it during no, Kimmich. Kimmich? Yeah. And my ma she just couldn't settle out there. We were only about seven months out there. Right. And even though there was um we were brought still into city, our town's end street school every day. Mm. And there was a bus strike on. We used to come in on the army lorries to the school. Or to school. Mm-hmm. But she, just, she didn't even unpack all her stuff. She just didn't settle. So then we got a place in Irish Town, Stella Gardens. Mm. Little house like what I'm living yeah. in now today. And we were only... The houses across from the flats there? Yeah, right facing the grotto. Is that where Andy used to live? Yeah, just yeah. Uh, we were before we came Ooh. up to Andy's house. And then... We were only about three years living there. And my dad came in one day and he says, right, we're moving. And we were all looking, well. So anyway, we moved up to 32 Alpeer's house. The back flats. And that's the where... small flats, Roy, yeah. I get you. And, and so you just went back to basically where you were yeah, from. because my ma just wanted to be up near her. So, well, so that's a few moves from the age of eight to what? We were, I was about... I was still in national school when we went up to Pierce house, so... We'd have only been 10, no, wait, no, I was three years in Ring's End. Yeah, about 10, 11. Going back, back to Purse House. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so what was it like then growing up around Purse Street and Purse House? Brilliant. Just making friends, like what were friends there that you had left and went yeah. back to? Yeah, well, I or? always palled with a girl called Marie Lane. Right, yeah, I Even in school, yeah. I was with Marie Lane. And she lived in Purse House with a, a nanny. Right. Well, they called her the Nana Lane. And she lived in one end, Pierce House. What a woman. They had one bedroom. And my God, people complaining today on how they live. This woman was unbelievable. Yeah. She had so many grandchildren living with her. Daughter-in-laws. Our own sons. She, they were just a fantastic family to be around. And everyone used to sit outside the door in the summer. And Dick Lane used to sing that song, uh, Sweet Sixteen. Yeah. They yeah. loved. The, the Fiori's. Yeah. Yeah, they were a great family. Yeah. And, uh, and she cooked for them all. Every one of them she cooked for. A gang of them, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, gang of them. But was there, there was a lot of that, wasn't there, back, back then? Back then, yeah. Big, bigger families. Yeah, and definitely. She and my own mad pals so, were her own so, sister, Josie. So you basically grew up then in Perth's house, yeah. more or less, and then mm. my dad was in Markovic. Yeah. And then it's, it's funny enough that you have a house now to the, together. I'm in, back in, on towns. Well, yeah, I'm back on towns. Basically, it's in between the two flats, though. Yeah. So yeah. it's like bang in the middle, so that's where I grew mm. up, obviously, but... How did my dad come into the picture? Because uh, he told a different story. Yeah, well, he didn't. I don't know where he came up with that story. <laughs> <laughs> go on, give us We the, all called together um, in Pierce Street. There was a shop, you know where the pig and heifer is? Yeah. That was called Milk the Bulls. But there's a barber's there. I don't know the name of the barber's. King's Head. Yeah, there was a horse truck outside that. Oui. And we all used to meet there. It was me, Marie Lane, Angela Martin, Alice... Alice uh, Bylan, Lizzie, yeah. Lizzie O'Brien, there was like a load of us and 
your dad and his mates, Nico, David Sheridan, Noel Skelly. There was a lot, Georgie Gannon, Ooh. my pal Georgie Gannon. Uh, and there was a shop called Neenan's. Yeah. And we all used to hang around there and play the slots in the shop. Really? And then your dad and we start going on air walks, as they called them. And, Who uh, asked, he obviously asked you. Yeah. But and then what, what was the story? Who was the fella he mentioned that he said wanted that? No, Skelly. No, Skelly. Yeah, right, right. which there's no such thing. No, just made that up. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's a he habit. Probably, of doing no, that. I, the bit about him seeing me on the street with my ma <laughs> and Marie Lane was oh, right. Stop. But that bit about no Skelly, I don't know where he got it from. <laughs> really and cool. uh, so he was full of himself. Be that? Yeah, full of himself. He was. Bar he chocolate. had the perm back then, did he? Oh no, he didn't get that until later. No, no. Oh, right. So then. We watch you call it. Uh, we start going to the television club and the crystal and all. Really? But then you see, he started to smell himself. He thought he was great. Really? So then he was, it was on off, on off, on ah, off. So he's chasing other ones. Ah, really? chasing. Oh. <laughs> he thought he was Richard Gere. Come on, master. I thought he was Tom Jones, did he? Yeah. Richard Gere. Richard Gere, he thought ah, he was. Really, yeah, really, full really. of himself. And yeah. he's still coming into the television club. What's the story club. he always tells about? Uh, it's obviously not true. His dad died when he was bleeding seven, but he said when he was 13 or 14, his dad brought him to Rings End, uh, Iron Bridge or Rings End Bridge. He says, See, that's, made that <laughs> that's Rings End. Go on down there and, and don't come back till you're a man. Yeah. He said, I'll come back three days later, bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> he wakes him up as he goes along. He thinks it's hilarious. But uh, no, so then as time went on, then I got pain in my face with him. You gave him an ultimatum. No, I just said, mm. ah, here, he, he thinks he's wherever, and I gave him the heave-ho. So I stopped going. I used to go in on his skate on the flats. Yeah. I, I was always up with Mrs. Young's when she got flat Markovich. Oui. And uh, so I started going down Pier Street Way and coming in Pier Street Way. Okay. And this particular night, I was going down Pier Street, and I seen him at the bus stop with a girl. The girl got on the bus. So oui. I just kept on walking, and with that, there's someone behind me. How are you? And I went, yeah, he said... That was a manager's wife. He said, I was just leaving her onto the bus. And I went, would you ever fuck off? <laughs> <laughs> so he should have pulled the wool off you, right? Yeah. Right. yeah. So he was you a dark f- horse. Right. And, uh, and then, obviously then, when did you finally put that all behind you? Uh, he's, he's, to get, he's got married young. What? Why is we you? 20? I was 20 getting married. He was 21. Yeah. He was 21, yeah. Which is was probably normal back then. But. Mm, and we, before we got married, six weeks before we got married, we know where to live. We were looking at places up in Bald's Bridge and all, and I was kind of going, oh, I couldn't. It was like me going down to the country. I'm too much of a homeboard. But anyway, Tomo's sister Marion had a friend called Ailish, and she knew the man who was selling the house, Sean Kenny. And he said to Ailish, he'd love someone only starting off in life to be able to buy the house. So we got wind of the word of it, and um, we went and had a look at the house. Mm -hmm. Now, when I say it was in bits, it was in bits. But when I walked into it, I just got this feeling. I loved it, I did. Really? And the deposit on the house back then was um, a thousand pounds. Which was a lot of money then. Yeah. What year was this? 1978. Yeah. So fortunately, we had a bit of savings and we had a thousand pounds. So we, we were delighted then with that. So then we had to meet up at the auctioneer again. And he said, of good news, not bad news for you. He said... The, Deposit on the house is fifteen hundred pounds, mm. and I looked at Tom and he looked at me and he says, "We're gonna maybe ask your dad to cut back the list on the wedding and we'll because my dad was paying for the wedding mm. and let him give us." 
And I said, no, I want me big wedding and wherever. So he went that way and I went that way. Just killed each other, yeah. So then I was sitting at home and my dad says to me, but yeah, you have a claim coming. Right. And I said, yeah, but I'm not allowed to get that till I'm 21. And he said, no, he says, we'll go to the, to the courts and we'll tell the judge what you need the money for. And he'll grant it. So off we went to court. I was shaking because it was everyone handcuffed to everyone and... I made the balls but when I got into the dock to put my hand on the Bible and all that. But to cut a long story short, and anyway, the judge asked what was the money wanted for, and I said we were buying a house and we needed the 500 towards the deposit, and he granted it, and that's how we got the house today. Five kids and bleeding a gang of bleeding gang, grandkids later, and then still, grandkids, still blessed with them all. Yeah. And still there, yeah. So, I mean, in a sense, it's a, for me looking in at yours now, look, I mean, that's something that I aspire to in life is to, is to build a family and to build a home and I think the importance of having both parents at home I know it's not always achievable for some people or attainable but for me it's a, it's a big thing and sort of building family up around me I know a lot of people don't want to have kids and stuff like that but when I see us all now meeting in the home the yeah. family home and yeah. sitting with you and, and seeing the grandkids it's, it's something that if I sacrifice the hours now the shitey nappies and the fucking sleepless nights that's the reward then down the line, you yeah. know, and, and for me, there's nothing greater than that, I suppose, and, and like for you now, what is that feeling like now that you have that and that you're here? And... Oh, it's, it's great, well, it's finally got rid of them all out of the house, just yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> me and Tom are on our own now, We're, it's not very, I didn't think I'd hear the day I'd say, I have two spare rooms, doesn't mean anyone's coming back, no spare rooms, but uh, now having the grandkids coming in, the younger ones are gas. Uh, Millie, yeah, Tommy, your boy, he's out on his own, and Bobby. Yeah, Bobby's the newest. But the eldest is Chloe. We were, she was our pride and joy when she was born. She still is our pride and joy. And then we have Ben and Callum and Alex and Sam. But so did you ever, do you ever like, you, like, look? I said when we're all there, is there ever like a pinch me, pinch yourself moment where it's like, I did, love you ever, it. did you ever, did you ever, take, be taken back by it and look around and, and take in your surroundings or? Did you ever, is there ever like a, how the fuck did this, how did they get here? Like, like you, yeah. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Did you, do you ever have any of them type of fucking... Yeah, when we're all, I love when we're all together. And I know everything's always good all the time, but I love it. Mm. I just love it. I love everybody being in the house and getting up and saying, do you want something to eat and whatever. Yeah, and do you think, like, marriages is a, a hard, relationships in general are hard. Yeah, they are. And... Yeah. I mean, do you think you learned to stick by me that and him to stick by you through thick and thin? Do you think you learned that from you, your own man and dad? Do you think it was a generational thing or, or what? Um, yeah, we did. We, we've, we had some ups and downs, a lot of ups and downs because we were quite young getting married. We were mm. very young getting married. But then I suppose that was a trend back then. You got married and you had a family. But obviously something kept us together and it, obviously it was love. Even though there was times we could have killed each other. Yeah. But yeah, my old mad and dad, my dad was, I mean, my, they had serious problems themselves. My father drank. Yeah. And my ma, Lord of Mercy, on her as well, also, she had mental health issues. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. It was hard looking at her because she went through the mill. She hid a lot from us for years and we didn't know what to bear it. And then she couldn't hold it back any longer. She started trying to. I mean, Annie was uh, 
She was diagnosed technically with bipolar, was she? Yeah, yeah. She done the main time. She tried to commit suicide, and thankfully she didn't succeed. But once she she nearly did, and we were all sent for. She in intensive care up in the hospital, and uh, she ended. She was always in Verge Mount for years and years, and then she was she wasn't she was in Verge Mount, and one day she was in there for a long time. And my dad used to come to me every day for his dinner from the docks. Mm. And uh, she came home out, out there and I was pregnant on Sinead at the time. And she had said to me, come on, we go into town and we get um, stuff for the baby's room. Because mm. your dad and your ma's home now and everything be okay and whatever. So we were walking up, we got as far as Markovich and I could hear someone whistling. I kept on, and when I turned around, it was my dad, and he was running after us, and he just said, Jared, I'm sorry, he said, she's after doing it again. He said, she'll have to take another overdose. But when we got to the flat, um, <laughs> well, it's funny when you look back the way my dad was going on, he said, she didn't, she was over, she, was, she didn't even know where she was, she was after taking that many tablets, and uh, here's my dad, ask her, why'd you take all my tablets? If I have a flipping heart attack, there's nothing there for me, why'd you take all my tablets? Sounds like something you're for, <laughs> She didn't realise what she was after doing, but that was the very first time that we put her into um, St. Brendan's. Brendan's, and what, what was that, what was Brendan's here? It was a mental. Is it still here today? I think Brendan's gone, I don't think it's, it's there. Right, Could be moved somewhere else. That was a story was, you were actually telling me before. We it was, um, it wasn't a nice place. It wasn't? No, no. It was horrible, it was. Was it harder for her in there? Do you feel like it helped uh, her at all? Or do you think it was something that she... Well, she, she Back was, then, the, 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 the information and the, the technology and around mental health was... It's still fucking a lot of unknown today. Still a lot of grey areas today. And But back then, they were using people nearly as fucking human experiments. Yeah, you know? well, she, and, she did get a lot of... Um, this electric shock treatment done. Yeah. She got that done quite a lot. Fucking mental. Yeah. And you were telling me a story about sometimes she'd go up and she'd have a different voice on, she'd be talking posh. Oh yeah, something. she'd be, sometimes I went up and this particular day I went up, Lord of Mercy, Thomas, brother, John, he brought me up one day and she was actually then at this stage, she was at put into a lock-up place and um, you had to knock on the door to go in. So, when the nurse opened the door, I went in and I said to John, I can see me man anywhere. And with that, this woman walked towards me with roaring red lipstick on her, blue eyeshadow, skin tight, red trousers. <laughs> you don't mean to laugh. Skin yeah. top, de- to- top bed onto her. And she went, hi Geraldine, sit down there. And I'm going, John, John what's going on here? He said, sit down. So I'm sitting down. And my mum's talking to me and all of a sudden this woman comes over, got help her and she was shaking and she goes, Jenny, Jenny, can I have a smoke? And she went to me, excuse me, Geraldine, fuck off you or I'll put you into a rocket. You wait, my daughter's gone. <laughs> put you in a what? <laughs> put you into a fucking rocket. <laughs> and I said to John Nolan, I have to go, I have to see. What... He says, don't leave me on my own. Oh, so I went in and they said they were trying to get our medication balanced right. Mm-hmm. But she used to walk around, my mum... Uh, how how um how how did my granddad cope was he was in there look I'm not like he said he was an alcoholic was he drinking heavier when um, she was in or when well my dad was when we were younger my dad would would drink but as the years went down then we noticed he was getting heavier on the drink yeah there was times when she'd be in hospital he would be on the dry and he'd walk out to the hospital if there was bus strikes on yeah. he'd walk out to the hospital all the time and walk back 
But on one particular time he was drinking and he was up with her. And she said to him, I'm going to a disco tonight, really. <laughs> and he said, uh, where? And she said, up here. She says, there's a man up here and he fancies me. <laughs> so my dad was, was playing on his mind. So he had a friend called Paul by Gannon. And he said to Paul by, we're going up on a mission tonight up to that Brendan. She said, there's a fellow up there fancies her. So off they went, they found where the disco was. And my dad put Paul by on his shoulders. And Paul by's looking in the window. Oh, I can see how Willie, yeah, she's dancing. I don't know whether she's with anyone or not. He was actually with anyone. They should have played so them two away if they had a cop in there. I'm sorry, for folks. They would have. But uh, we, there's things that we can look back on and we can laugh on. Yeah, there's sad times that we can... It's, sad it's, memories It's, it's, as it's well. mad because, I mean, my nanny died in the February of 93. 93, and that's I right. I was born in the October. Mm. And then my granddad, yeah, that died when I was about one. You were about... Well, 13, 14 months, yeah, was I? And yeah. uh, like, so I don't really remember them, but the, I have, like, the, um, it's almost like the, it's generational that the things have been passed down... Like, I don't know if there's studies to show if trauma can be generational and passed down. I think there is, actually. But when you mention alcoholism and addiction and then mental health things, these are two things that I suffer with in my life and I've openly spoke about and I've, I've, I've talked about a lot. But when you talk about things with my granddad, it always resonates with me. And even with my nanny then, when you talk about it, now, obviously... I've been thankful enough to never be signed in anywhere or anywhere like that. And But uh, it's been something I've been going through for years. But when you... There's one of the things that helps me get through and helps me, helps me cope is journaling. And the, I remember whenever you dish out some of his old books, yeah. he, he, he always journaled mm-hmm. and he kept things. And these are things that then you show me. And I, I've copied a few of them into a different copy and took pictures of them and saved them. And uh, these are sentimental things that, like... I don't know, it's just something about them that I feel like... I feel like there's a part of them in me, but I think that's all down to do with the story yeah. of when I was a baby and I was sick, if you want to tell that story. But I, I always feel like something that... When I'm reading the words on the page, they're jumping out at me. It's almost like I feel like I've wrote them. Yeah. Do you know that but way? But you are like him in a lot of ways in regards music. Like, he words meant a lot to him in yeah. songs. lyrics, yeah. And... You would be the same and I would be the same. Like sometimes I say to your dad in the car, words are lovely in that song. What? <laughs> <laughs> I say, listen to the words of it. Yeah, fucking listen to the words. Like I do be listening to the words yeah, and it yeah. means something to me, but he'd just be making a laugh at me. But yeah, in that regard, yeah, you would. Yeah, and it's a story then of when I was, uh, that's what I wanted to tell. It's a bit of a, bit of a story of when he, when he did pass away. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, in the, the, on the 18th of January, 95, um, you weren't well. And I took you into the bed with, with me that night. And I said to your dad, he's not well again. Because when you were younger, you yeah. suffered a lot with chest infections. And I thought it was another chest infection coming on. So I got up and I said to your dad, I'm going to ring the doctor the first thing. I said, he's not well at all. So your dad, it was only start, he only started in a new job. And uh, I rang my dad to bring it over about the seven up. Mm. And he said, right, Jerry, I'll bring her over. But when he came over, I had you lying on the couch, but I just had a sheet over you because mm-hmm. you were roasting. And when my dad walked in, he said, oh, Jay's, Jay's not well at all. I said, no, I'm waiting on Dr. Uh, Callahan to come out. So anyway, about, my dad said, I'm just going to run around to the bookies and I'll be straight back. So I said, right. So with that, Dr. Callahan came. And when he walked in, he pulled the sheet off you and he went, 
I went, oh, Jesus, I'm awful sorry for calling you. I said, he's the measles. But he didn't say anything to me. He says, Jaden, tell you what, he says, I'll drive you up to the hospital. And I said, no. I said, what would you be driving me up to the hospital for? He said, no, I'd rather have him checked out. I'll bring you up. I said, no. I said, I'll ring my brother-in-law, Paul Nolan. Mm. I said, he'll bring me up. So I rang Paul and anyway, and with that, my dad came back and Dr. Callahan wouldn't leave until he see me going in the car with you. Mm. We're on the way up, you start getting, getting sick. Still wasn't thinking anything. So I got there and I said to my dad, oh, geez, we're going to be here for hours. The place was packed. Mm. So I said, you hold him and I hand a letter in at the desk. So I had no sooner put my ass back on the chair and it was Thomas Nolan. So my dad sat outside and I brought you in. So they started examining you and one doctor was walking up and down and they were looking at each other and I said, what are they looking at? something going on here. So with that then, this lady doctor came in in a suit and a stethoscope around her neck and she says, um, she looked at them and they went like that to her, they nodded at her. And she says, can I take you to a room? Is there no one there anyone with you? And I said, my father's sitting outside. So she brought me into a room and they said, um, your baby has meningococcal septicemia and he's He's very sick. And she said, um, if you have any family, you need to get them to come up. And I'm going, we need to get them to come up for what? They said, she said, your baby's dying. So I'm in an awful state. My dad didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to reach your dad because he was only at the starting in the new job. So I hadn't mm-hmm. got a clue where. He, so how my dad found him, I don't know. So with that, your dad arrived up and he pushed the door in. And I said, they said he's dying. And he said, no, he's not. Don't be. And the doctor grabbed your dad and he said, Mr. Nolan, your baby is dying. So you were put up into intensive care and we were all there and me and dad said it obviously in the room with you. They put a bed in for us. And that was on a Wednesday. On a Thursday, your granddad was in mass. He was doing at a funeral. And Father Mulligan was walking out and he said to me, all right, will you? And he says, no, I'm not. He said, I'm praying to God to take me and to leave Jay with Thomas. So he went to the funeral and the next day, you seem to make a immaculate recovery because they took you out of the intensive care and put you on a ward. So we got word to my dad that you were out of the intensive care and he was up seeing his brother Joe. Joe was sick at home. He was very bad with cancer. And he came up to the hospital that evening. It was freezing out and Paul and Jackie was up there with us. And your dad, and every time you used to see our granddad when you were a baby, you used to go like that. Hmm. So you see my dad coming and you went, and he put his hands in his pocket and he took five packets of chocolate, white chocolate buttons out. And I said, oh, I can't give him them. He says, I'm only going to give him one or two. He says, no one needs to know. So he gave you a couple of chocolate buttons. And I went upstairs to Paul and Jackie in the parents' room and left your dad and Tomo, your dad and me dad with you. So then Tomo come up and he says, you're bleeding out. He's down there singing all them songs to him, walking up and down the corridor with him in his arms. And Thomas is doing all these little actions. We were saying, we can't believe how he's after coming on. So then my dad said to me, Jay, you're going home tonight. You're getting a night's sleep. Thomas staying the night. You come up in the morning and let him go home. So I went home, Paul, Jackie, my dad went home. Got to my house and I said, Dan, don't go out of the car, it's freezing. Paul will drop you in the flats. Now I'm going in with you for a cup of tea. So time to Paul and Jackie for bringing us home and he came in. Just sitting there and we were talking and he says, oh, great news, Jerry, isn't it? Look at him, he's, he looks really, really well and he's can't believe because your feet now are torn and black and everything. Mm. And uh, so then he was going, I says, no, Dad, tomorrow, I said, go down and do a little bit of walk in Lansdowne. 
No, I'm going to the hospital. I said, you no, don't need to come up to the hospital. So when he was gone, and it's the word I never really heard him say, I knew he loved me, but he turned back and he went. Jerry, and I went, what? He said, I love you. And I said, yeah, I love you too. So I went in and I grabbed the phone and I rang her and I said, um, will you watch me dad tomorrow? She says, why, what's wrong? I said, I have a funny feeling he's going to break out on the beer. She said, yeah, fuck you. And my dad said, you're always worrying about the beer. And uh, so after the next morning, I went to the hospital. The dad went home. I think Sinead was with me up in the hospital. And then they went home and I was on my own with you. And your dad came back up. And uh, your dad said, well, come on, we bring him in for a good wash. So we brought you into the bathroom. And we were playing with you. And we were delighted that you were, couldn't get over you. Jeez, the way you were so sick. And then all of a sudden you're perfect. So with that, the door opened and the nurse had phone call, which was nothing unusual because a lot of family members, everyone was ringing to see how you were. So then anyway, I'm coming out and I was hooshing you up and down. And when I walked out, it was a, like, she was like a sister or a matron and a nurse and your dad. And the three of them were standing looking at me and I'm going, your dad said, hand the baby to the nurse. And I said, no. Because I thought there was something wrong with you. I thought there was mm. something after coming back and test or something. And they said, uh, the nurse just took you. And you were screaming. And I said, what's going on? And Thomas says, I don't know how to say this to you, but come out. He says, your dad's had been found dead. So I'm not a religious person. Thomas a religious person, but I do. But... Still today, even listening to it, although I've heard it so many times, I still get used from about it. It still resonates with me. Mm. It's like, it's... It just makes me very grateful and, and, and thankful. And like you said, I'm not very religious, you know me. I'm not, I have my yeah. beliefs, I have my me, me, me value structures in life I live by. And, and I believe you do good for others, you do good for yourself. And, and that's the way I try to live my life. But when you hear that, it's hard not to be, think some sort of spirit, there is some sort of spiritual or other a higher level than 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 us and and, yeah. and you know whatever it is consciousness or spirit or soul or whatever but yeah it's the story that um sticks with me and what you said there about you never really said it but you knew we loved you i think even now our family your kids is still we yeah. still struggle yeah we did it's just me there's glenn louise Sinead and carl and it's very seldom, you know, that, that we'll, we'll show some sort of affection or love towards each other. And it's something that, even as the youngest, I feel like I've been trying to... I don't know what way to say it. And kind of lead... Instead of trying to wait for someone else to do it, try to lead and take 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 control of the situation. Mm-hmm. And, like, tell people that I love them more. Tell them... Yeah. We should be, should be more affectionate. And since... Especially since having Tommy, I don't want that to be passed on to him. Mm-hmm. or Especially with me me tendencies to fall into roots and, and de- depressive states and, and bad 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 forms of mental health. I, I don't want him to learn that from me. So it's something that I need to I need to battle with daily, you know, and something that I need to get on top of myself with daily. So it's um I don't know, I think I think for for growing up in your time it was different. It was yeah. it was for a man to be a man you want to allow it to cry, you want to allow it to to show emotion mm. and and, and but for me, I think that's all bollocks. To be honest, I think you can, you can. I heard one recently that someone said his father was two different type of men. He said one can hug you and one can hit you. He said, but both of them were men. He said, you know what I mean? It was all right to be a man that hugged his kids. It was all right to be. A, but if anyone done done wrong on his kids, he'd be the first one now fucking swinging digs, you know. And mm. 
he said for him that's what a man was and it's important to show care and, and love to your children and uh, yeah so just just on that point but I think going back to um, when you were younger growing up and I guess this is something that I've been trying to put off but when, when you were younger and, and you had your own experience with um, you were abused yeah yeah and um, if you want to talk a little bit about that yeah yeah so if you want to um, I was around 12 years of age probably going on 13 years of age when I remember my father's family a first cousin to my father's um, abused me from the age of 12 to 13 up to I would have been 16 the year it stopped up to 15 um, it was a horrible horrible experience and I wouldn't wish on anyone and we finally, it came out years later. I never knew. I always thought I was a little tramp in the back of my mind because of what happened. I always felt it was my fault and I allowed it to happen. Um, so someone else brought, brought it out about him and then I realised, was I abused? So... Sorry, I'm having a cut across. Yeah, but you're, you're, you're 12 years of age and mm. this man was... 22 years of senior yeah was it, is that correct mm. and it wasn't until how many what age were you when you, when you realised this was abuse I was married with five kids so I mean you, for all those years you held in so it's yeah. believing that you were the cause of this you were a tramp at 12 years of yeah. age where a man that was 20, 24 years of age mm. who was abusing you and family member nonetheless and it was in the vicinity of the local vicinity in Russia, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's well known, yeah, well known. Um, <coughs> allegedly, I'd say he had it well perfected before he got to us. I'm only going to tell you my story because there is other people involved and I'm not going to mention their names. But um, it was brought out by somebody else and Tom was talking to me and he said to me one night, he said, you were in that choir, he said, were you ever touched? And I said, no. And... I was shaking inside. And when Tomo fell asleep, I got up and I was really sick and my head was all over the place because when Tomo used the word abused, I was questioning myself then, was I abused or no? Was I this little tramp that I allowed all this to happen? And then I went to work the next morning. I had to pass the house where I was abused. And he abused me also in his workplace on many of an occasion. And I was going to walk and I got very panicky and nervous and just everything came flooding back. So I went to walk and the girl said to me, yeah, you are right. And I said, I couldn't even speak. So she got the boss that was over me and a lovely, there were lovely people that I worked for. And he came down and he says to me, Jerry, you're all right. And I said, I don't know if I was abused. I oh, know I wasn't abused. All my fault. I was talking shy. And he says, does Tomo know? And I said, no. I said, I can't tell him. I says, John, because he'd kill him. And he said, but it's not about Tomo, Jerry. And he said, it's about you. So he says, I have an empty apartment and I'm going to give you the keys to go around. And I went around and John waited. My boss waited with me until he came. And when he came, he came up to the apartment with me and I told him Tell me that. that I was abused by this man and he said I had an idea where he says but I needed you needed to hear you say it say it. and then 
I felt good after telling him and I thought, oh, I'm grand. I'm great now. I'm going to tell Tom all this and get on with my life. I went home, I went into town with my niece, Michelle. And a few days later, I couldn't pass the door. I couldn't come out. I just, everything kept on flushing, going through my head. And, and I, st- I never crossed the door for three months. I couldn't come out. And as time went on then, I decided to make a statement to the police. And I went up to the police station and I was five hours in the police station giving me my statement. And it wasn't easy, it was very hard. And it was very hard to make a decision to go to the police as well. But my gut feeling was telling me, if I can save someone else from this bastard, I'll do it. So... I went up to the police station and the vanguard took the statement and at one stage the detective came in and he says, your family member's waiting on you outside. So when I went out, it was your dad and Sinead. And I broke down. I went home and the detective kept in touch with us quite regularly. And then it was about two, maybe two years later, three maybe, he, ca- he rang me and he says, Geraldine, he says, um, the DPP, we're charging him in the morning. He says, but you're not allowed to tell anyone, he says, till, the, till the, we arrest him. So they went out and they arrested him in his home. And his uh, interview was all no comment, no comment, no comment, no comment. And we were told that not every case makes it to the courts because... The evidence is not strong enough to take it to court. So they said, don't get your, even though he's charged, it doesn't necessarily mean we'll make it to the steps of the court. Mm-hmm. But we did make it to the steps of the court after a long hurdle. And <clears throat> just for anyone who's listening in, man, who might be, you never know who's going through this. Like, obviously, there's people around you who didn't know who you were and yeah. who did blame themselves. What, what yeah. was, do you feel like. He, how he done things made like manipulated you to to feel that way, or did you feel that way by your own sort of guilt? Or, probably or... both, maybe because he threatened you and say, "Don't tell anybody this, or this is all a secret." And if if it does, no one's going to believe you. I'm a pillar of the community. People are not going to uh, believe that I was like doing all these things. And he was a horrible bastard and an evil bastard, and he's still breathing. And um. So we got to court and terrifying, very nervous. It was my turn to go in and give evidence. And and one on one of the questions to his barrister asked me, I used the word think in my statement. Yeah. It was a projector screen and he was showing bestiality right. on it. And I said in my statement, I don't think it was a television. I think it was a projector, but I knew it was a projector and I don't know why I said that. A projector that what? It was a projector that projected film onto a screen. And that's what he was doing? Yeah, yeah. But I don't know why I used the word television. But we were told that we could have a break if we we got tired or whatever. So that bastard was getting treatment. So the court used to finish at three o'clock for, to facilitate his treatment. But I wasn't aware of it at the time, and I just said to the judge, can I have a small break? And he looked at the barrister, and he said, yeah. And he said, right, we'll adjourn until Monday, because it's 10 to 3 now. 
so I went home and I had a brilliant counsellor. I was attending her for nearly eight years. And I rang her and I said, oh, I'm after making this balls of me statement. I don't know what I'm after saying. I know it was rejected. I don't know why I said it was a television and I got myself into a state. So she says to me, Jaden, I'll be into the courts with you Monday morning. And she did come and she sat with me and she helped me through it. And when I went in, anyway, his barrister said, no, the whole weekend, I'd come back with an answer. And I said, he said, well, what was it? I said, it was a projector. I shouldn't have said what I said. I said, I made a mistake in what I said. It was a projector. <laughs> but um, we got through that first tr- trial. And at the end of it, then the two barristers get up and do their summing up and whatever. And his barrister got up and I could see the judge making an angry face and everyone was looking at each other in the courts. And the judge stopped them and he dismissed the jury. Told him to go for an early lunch. And he said that he had put uh, a seed of doubt into the jurors' minds. And uh, he'd have to go home and study the whole case the weekend and come back with a decision Monday morning. And his decision then that morning was to a retrial. And that went on for... We had four retrials. Eight years. And I was in counselling for eight years, yeah. So eventually you, you got what you wanted. You got, you got your day in court where you got your jurors and you got... The, the unanimous decision. He he was plastered in the papers. He he. That was from the civil case. Yeah. We 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 gave it up our right. Well, you give up your rights for many. T- yeah. Today and anyway. Because there was a technicality in the. Or in I the, wanted to expose criminal, him in the criminal case, but you've got just an exposure. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I, I just. Yeah. Bringing it back to um, when I was a kid and when when all this was going on and I didn't know what was going on in the house and like you said the detectives were in and out and they were keeping in touch and. I just remember thinking I didn't know what was going on, and I, I often yeah. I remember telling people, and I used to think I was adopted because I was the only one with red hair, because <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was uh, for a twelve year old I was well ahead of me years, like I hung around with all the people, and I was questioning it a lot, and then I think eventually you all had to tell me, and you all sent me down, and and you were in the armchair, and and these are all there, and yeah, the whole office was just there. Just telling me, and it was something that. Something that I kept, it changed me, it made me angry, and um, so I wasn't gonna <laughs> Made me angry, and it, it turned me into a person that I shouldn't have at that age, you know. So I remember having thoughts about this man, you know, because our default thing in, in, in where we come from in our family is fucking hard shots, and the first thing you want to do is get a hold of the country, you know. But, that was the last thing you wanted us to do. You, yeah. know, you didn't want any of us getting in trouble. Because I didn't want my case not going to court either. Yeah, and you didn't want us to fucking no. get in trouble. He's, he's not a war. For a man like that. Yeah. It was, um, it was, there was thoughts I had at that age that I just knew, looking back now, that no choice you'd be having, you know, and I was, I was fantasizing about kidnapping this man. And, and especially when I got into 14 and 15, and I was getting a bit bigger, I was playing rugby and... I said, I knew easily I could do these things to him, you know, and some disgusting, horrific things went through my mind. And I wanted to kidnap my mother, and like, slowly, you know, and this is, this was dark, this, this, this darkness that was inside me then was there for years. Mm. And I remember going to counselling the first time I went to counselling, and the counsellor told me straight away after like a session, she says, you became, in your mind, my protector.
And now there was forty or five kids, and I can only speak on behalf of myself, and we all got affected by it. Oh, everyone, yes. But it wasn't until I realised that what he did to you was now passing on to, and he's he's winning because we're all fucking upset over it. We're, he, he, we're holding on to this anger and resent for this man, and, and it's bring it's weighing us down. Yeah. And I remember you were doing. You were on prime time on RTE and some of the things you said on it that, that stayed with me and it's that he laughed at you or something one yeah. time and yeah. that you, you weren't sure that you should have told me because I wasn't coping with it and it's just the fact that you did and this is why... As a mother you try to protect your kids and because you were so young I didn't want to say it. Angela Louise was sick as well. And I was trying to protect her. I didn't want... But she knew there was something going on. She was following me around the house saying, why is everyone coming into the house? What's going on? And wherever. So I was cooking the dinner and I said it really casually. Oh, I said... Uh, tried to play it off. Like. Yeah, play it off because I didn't want her falling backwards. And Carl and Sinead, like Carl, just got up and left the house. He didn't speak. But I know he went out onto the road where the bastard lived and... Yeah, well, I mean, I don't know myself... <laughs> With um, my cousin, John, who's not with us anymore. Yeah, sadly. Yeah, the cousin, my only other cousin's John, who was my me, me ma's only sister, Anne. It was, it, was, it was one of her sons, and I found me, because my ma and Anne were the only two sisters, we both lived in the same area. We, we were all very close, all the cousins growing up, and, and we still are. Me and John were very close, and John kind of took on like a big brother role for me, and he was very angry about it too, you know, and, I think he said that he, the same fucking bastard he, he slapped Dan's ass or pinched Dan's ass one That's time right, or something yeah. and John was annoyed about it and one night we were drinking and we ended up out there and look we didn't do anything stupid thankfully but it came close and he, um, John's not with us anymore you know and, and neither is Anne so like they, they were two people that maybe that story's for another day but um, She never left me side in the court and she no. stayed with me all the time and um, I mean, for anyone who's listening in, man, who who could be going through this now in silence, who who could be believing that 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 just as you you use your words that they're just tramps and that 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 the victims and that uh, that that have been manipulated to think that way or or by these fucking narcissistic animals and these predators, you know, who, who who do prey on people and they, they expose, they, they, they prey on vulnerable people and naive people yeah. and, and, and it's, that's why it's when they're children, before, before you're mature enough to be in your senses enough to, to know what's actually happening. And it's, it's, it's uh, for anyone who's listening in who may be going through something, who may be thinking about speaking up, what would your advice be? I'd say don't be afraid because you're not responsible for what happened. They are responsible for what happened. And... Go and talk to someone who you feel you can trust, whether it be a friend, a family member, police, wherever you have the strength to do, I would say go for it because I held it for so many years without letting it out and it's it nearly damaged me. Well, it did, but I'm, I'm not... I don't class myself now as a victim, I class myself now as a survivor. But I do... Yeah... Come forward. If if you anyone is going through it at the moment or have been through it, talk to someone and get the help that you need because you're not responsible for what happened 
they're responsible for what they've done to you. I think I remember when you had the courage to speak up, man, and you took that step. I think I remember you saying there was people, obviously can't say names, but those people come to the door who were, were, were... One person in particular stopped me and she asked me how I was getting on and how did I find it coming out and I said that it was very hard to come out with it. But seemingly she's going through her own battle and she was abused and... Um, I haven't seen or heard from her since, but I'm hoping she's doing well. Yeah, but she does seek help. And there's so much layers to the story, and, and some of it is not yours to tell, so no. we can't really get into the, the, no. the, the in-depth of it. And, um, but, um, I mean, moving on from, from there, um, to anyone, I mean, who is going through there, and I hope that advice helps, and I hope this kind of inspires you, because I think one of the reasons, man, is why I speak up, about some of the struggles I've had with depression and mental health and how it's not easy for men to do it is because well I've seen you do it you know and I often compare myself to my dad but I think I'm more I think I have a piece of both in me you know and I think that part of me he was not afraid to speak up he was not afraid to be courageous or be vulnerable because let's be honest I'm sitting here now and fucking crying on a bleeding camera you know what I mean and, and that could be used against you you know there's, there's a lot of bleeding agents online these days that could be used against you but look if, if, if it gets the right message out there, if it helps someone... That's all that matters. Fuck the agents. Yeah, exactly. You know, and and I think um, it can have a very positive impact on, on, on someone else's life and maybe even help fucking get a few more of these bastards behind bars, you know what I mean? Because what happens is when you stay silent on them, you're almost doing them a favour. Yeah. Because that's the, the freedom. They're moving on to someone else. You know, and, and if you can stop that, well then, you, you should, you know. If you can, if you can build up the strength to, to speak up, well then you, you definitely should. Yeah. And um, today's world, though, I think it's all a bit crazy with, um, I think, the, the Me Too movement started in America. You know what the Me Too movement is? Where your man in Hollywood was fucking abusing his position of power and he was basically raping girls without consent to get them into films and stuff like that mm. and then a lot of women started speaking up and I think a lot of them come out and they won their cases and stuff but then there was a few that just weren't true and they were joining on for popularity you know and I think that's fucking very dangerous as well I think people who accuse someone of something that didn't happen can equally ruin someone's life yeah. the opposite way. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And um, so, yeah, uh, that's probably just the way the world's gone, though. You know, once something gets popular, everyone tries to jump on the bandwagon. But um, is there anything else that you'd like to get in or, or, or say or talk about before we wrap it up? I mean, there is a few minutes left, but... Um, well, on happier notes, I did have a great time living in Pierce House. I palled with a girl called Marie Lane, as I said, but in later years when I had the kids, I used to be with a great person. You could do a film on her life story, and this is Kathleen Lane and Greta Ward. They were unbelievable. They were the most funniest people I've ever met. I can't even tell you what they got up to because I'd probably get arrested. <laughs> but um, Kathleen had seven kids, wonderful kids. They were a life. Our father, our husband died when Leona was only a year old. And Greta's husband sadly passed away as well. And Greta had uh, three kids, Gary, Samantha and Orla. And Kathleen's were 
Tony, James, Linda, Debbie, Kim. I don't know who I'm leaving now. Leona, I don't know. I think I left one of you out. Oh, Mark. Couldn't leave Marco Polo out. I'd never heard the end of it. So, Debbie Sullivan, you got your wish. You got me on yeah, to De- speak. Debbie, to De- had, uh, Debbie was putting in requests to get me man on, so I had to have him for Debbie as well. So, so this is for you, Debbie Sullivan. And what about, uh, you're not leaving anyone now, what about Susie? And oh, my best friend, Susie. Don't want to forget anyone. My dad had a blade, and uh, many shout-outs my dad had. Oh, well, I broke the blade more yeah. record. Susie Murray is my best friend, and I also have great friends that I made in Wexford. Susan Kyo, um, Fanula Mulhall, Sylvia O'Connell, Tina Ennis, better known as Tina Johnston, and Val. All great people. Loved our company. And I had the privilege in becoming their friends. And I loved them all to bits. And I can't think of anybody else. I hope I'm not leaving anyone out. Nearly, so. Oh, and best wishes to my great friend and neighbour, Angela Ward. Get better soon. We're all thinking and praying for you. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so we were about to wrap up, but just to finish, like you said, to finish on a light, I know, I mean, it's important to know that that was a hard time in our lives and, and yeah. in your life and, and in the family's life and we all went through it together. And thankfully, we all had each other to go through it together. You know, a lot of people are out there and maybe feel like they're alone. They have known to go through it. We, and I think it's important to bring it back that we no longer have that anger or hatred or darkness in us and that we have kind of let go of it. I know bringing up emotions from the past there made, made me bleed and tear, shed some tears and so did you, but we're happy now as a family. You know oh, God, we, yeah, we are, yeah. We have everything we can be, we have more than we, we ever needed. We, yeah. we have everything we want and we're, we're thankful for all that. And, and yeah. I mean, one of the things my dad said when he was on is that all you can leave behind is your memories. And I think we spend a lot of time together as a family, especially in the house and, and the memories that we'll have now forever is, is all that matters and it's the good memories that matter it's not these ones that that kind of bring us down or, or, or involve other people that will sort of dim and dim our, our life you know that way we won't let anyone dim our life from as a family we will we'll all stick together and we'll, yeah. we'll 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 hold on to the good ones you know and even as um families can be complicated too yeah so uh on that note, yeah, I just wanted to let everyone know. Well, before you go as well, I forgot to mention my beautiful nieces, Joanna and Michelle, I love you to bits. And my nephew, Ross, love you too. And my brother-in-law, Sean, thanks for a good day, the other day. And I won't forget you. I say <laughs> you forgot the next blade morning, the fucking, I should have seen the dance moves out and for fuck's sake. Um, I was water, Sean. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, that's it then. We'll wrap it up there for this week. And, uh, there's probably so much more we could have spoke about with Anne and with John. And, yeah, and Anne. I mean, they were big parts of, of our lives, and, lives. And, and, mm. and what happened to them and the stories, the good, the good times we have with them that we have to tell mm. as well. So Great times. Maybe we could do, we'll probably get you and me there on again together maybe sometime. And we'll, I we'll wouldn't get a word in with him. No, <laughs> no really, actually. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. That's me dad saying, hold on. You tried to say that and he fucking holla 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 holla. <laughs> spitting and dribbling all over. Should've done it with him. You ended up with me three fucking times. And uh bleeding 
dribble just blading dripping down to his top every fucking five minutes on the camera. I looked back and I said, Oh Jesus, I have to post that fucking out now. Alex me ne- his nephew, my grand my dad's grandson rang me. Thomas oh, my granddad's blading dribbling on himself in that video. <laughs> so yeah, right, then uh, we'll wrap it up there and um thanks for coming on man. I do don't say it enough and I do, probably have said it more than I ever did in the years, but I love the bits. And I love you more. <laughs>